0: Alright, well, that, that, maybe we're still a little tired. I said, how are you guys doing this morning? Good. That's much, much better. There you are. Now I can see your pretty faces, and here we go. Hey, my name's Chris. As Rod said, I'm the creative pastor here, and I get to fill in, so thanks, Rod, for letting me uh, jump up here. We're trying to create a rhythm around Crossroads, not only to help uh, give Rod a break because he carries a heavy load as our leader, but also we want to give a lot of people uh, the opportunity to teach, and so you've seen that all through the summer, and that's going to be a regular rhythm for us uh, because we believe in equipping uh, people and making disciples and developing leaders at our church. And so uh, this is all part of that. And so today uh, we get to continue our series called Thrive. And as Chris Morris said, the reason we did the Incubus song is that today we're going to be talking about how to deal with difficult people. Now, how fun is that to talk about, right? I mean, how many of you love to deal with difficult people? Anybody? I didn't think so. Uh, so today, uh, really, we're just going to jump in, and I, I've got a lot to share. I'm going to talk a little bit um, about First Thessalonians, and then we're going to look at another cool story out of the Old Testament. Um, but what I understand um, is in my experience over the years as a pastor, I did ministry for like 17 years, transitioned out of ministry, uh, have a regular working job like most of you guys. Uh, and then I became a, just an attender here at Crossroads. Then became a member at Crossroads. Then started volunteering at Crossroads, and now looks like God has brought me full circle. And now I'm serving on staff here at Crossroads, and it's been it's been a really cool thing to see God restore many things in my life. Uh, but what I've learned in ministry and what I've learned in just becoming a just a regular church goer, I've learned that there's one huge potential danger for knocking us off of our A-game when it comes to thriving, right? There's one small thing, there's one, or small, one huge thing that a lot of times we don't really talk about in church because it can be messy, it can be complicated, and we would just rather not deal with it. But that one thing that can knock us off our A-game is people, right? Wouldn't you say that? I mean, and especially not just people, difficult people, Hard-headed people, people that make us angry, make us mad, right? And so that dangerous people. So how many of you would say, I think we can raise our hands to this. How many of you would say that you have difficult people in your life? Now, all of us. See, I mean, it's, it's unanimous, it's universal, whether it's in our own family, whether, right? Anybody got difficult folks in their family? Yep. Uh, how many of us have difficult people at work? How many of us have people How many of us know some difficult people at church? Oh, oh, oh did you just say that? difficult people at church right but, but, but the, the reality is that, that happens there's a lot of times where conflict happens within the context of our local church. difficulty happens and conflict happens in the context of our job and especially in our families and So what we want to do this morning is really just talk about not only through the threat of how to thrive, but how to deal with difficult people because people can knock us off of our A game. People can set us back. People can just cause us sometimes to be ungodly, right? When we get mad, we get frustrated, right? I mean, I was looking online this week and I found a couple of things uh, that when it comes to difficult people, I found some descriptions of difficult people. You guys want to hear them? What, do you guys want to hear some descriptions of difficult people? Okay, that's much better. Alright, so, alright, there, there's just a couple different descriptions. One is called the Sherman tanks. So maybe you guys know some Sherman tanks. A Sherman tank really enjoys confrontation and needs to prove himself right. He attempts to intimidate. You know anybody of those folks? I have a little bit of a uh, bent towards the Sherman tank sometimes. And then there's the sniper, all right? The sniper. The sniper wants to undermine your authority, often using put downs and sarcasm hidden behind jokes and comments. Anybody know some snipers? Yeah. Heidi, is always busting my ch- because she cannot stand my sarcasm because I can be a pretty cynical, sarcastic person sometimes. And now I see that I might just be a sniper. So anyway, my bad, babe. Anyway, uh, then there's the exploder... The exploder has wild mood swings between being calm and loud. They often use vulgarity, insults, and name-calling. They want to silence you, right? Anybody know those folks? There's the complainer, simply whines constantly and feels totally underappreciated and powerless. powerless. There's the, the no person or the negativist, says no to everything, much like lawyers, and are never very happy. Then there's the clam, right? The clam is silent. Unresponsive and potentially deadly, and will respond with everything is just fine when asked what's wrong. And the list goes on and on. And on. You see, we all know difficult people, right? We all either have them in our family, we either work with them, or sometimes we butt up next to them. Maybe even you're sitting next to one at church. We all know who are difficult people. We all have those people in our lives. But here's the next question. Uh, we all raised our hand when we have difficult people in our lives, but how many of you would consider yourself the difficult person in Oh few few honest people. Nice. Way to go. You are commended for your authenticity. Uh but the, here's the deal is you know, sometimes we can be uh the, the difficult person. I mean I know I can be because I can be hardheaded, stubborn, and insensitive. But our thriving can be derailed. A lot of times, if you look at life and you look at our rhythm and our pace, our thriving can be derailed when it comes to people, even by the smallest, simple little post on Facebook that we see. We're like, ah, I can't believe they posted that on Facebook. And boom, we get all, go down different different roads. Or we can be derailed by somebody insulting us verbally or taking taking advantage of us. And then everything in between. You see, friends, we've been using the book of First Thessalonians all summer uh, as our springboard, as our um Guide to understanding what it's like to live a thrive life when it comes to our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, and so we've been using it as an instruction to how we can thrive. And so, when we're looking at First Thessalonians, to the springboard passage we're using today is found in First Thessalonians five. So, if you have your Bible, it's going to be on the screens. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. First Thessalonians is towards the end of the New Testament, so that's towards the end of your Bible. You want to go there. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and i want to read verses 12 through 15 and i just want you to check this out is what it says it says now we ask you brothers now uh, let's just pause and just acknowledge that if this was being written today it probably would say now we ask you brothers and sisters right because this was written in a time where it was male superiority and women weren't even really counted but we know that that's really not god's heart and intent. And so I think it's speaking to brothers and sisters to the local church. Now it says, now we ask you brothers and sisters to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. And so basically what Paul is saying to this church is, hey, there are leaders at your church who work very hard to carry and to Push the ministry of the church forward. And so they work very hard. So take care of them. Listen to them. Respect them. Verse 13 says, hold them, the leaders, in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, listen, I've been in a leadership position at a church before, and I understand that Paul isn't just saying, hey, pastors and leaders just need mad love and props because they have huge egos and you need to stroke that. What, what he's really alluding to is that a lot of times in local churches there are difficult people. Right? And a lot of times people don't get what they want. Or man, I think we need to do things this way. And I didn't like the music. And my small group isn't friendly. And hey, you didn't come see me. And on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And so what Paul is doing, just kind of by sleight of hand going, hey, listen, those who lead and those who have dedicated their life to leadership, those are the ones who admonish you and encourage you and move you forward in your faith that challenge you and pull you along to live that thriving life. Respect them. Hold them in high regard because what they're doing is not an easy job. Mainly because of people. Because of me. Because of you. Because of us. Because it just seems to be the nature of how we roll as people. Then in verse 14 it says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And here's the kicker in verse 15. This is really our springboard verse. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for what? Wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. And so Paul, in this little, just just little sliver of a passage, says, hey, listen, church people, people can be difficult. But when you're wronged, when you're hurt, when you're offended, when there's a difficult person, don't pay back wrong for wrong. Now that's very difficult to do, isn't it? Right? If you're like me, you know, you grew up in America, I mean, we learned kind of very early on paybacks, right? Even as kids, you're messed with, I'm gonna pay you back. Then as we grow up new adults, we learn phrases like paybacks are a Pain. You know, that's what I was saying. They're pain. Um, and so we understand paybacks, but the hard, re- harsh reality is that paybacks can happen, but paybacks don't necessarily work out a lot of times the way we see them in our head. I can, you know, I, I had this written rule. I did student ministry uh, for 12 years full time in the, in, in a local church. And I had this standing rule. And if you were in my youth group, you knew this rule. Uh, you, uh, you understood this rule because I talked about this rule all the time because whether we were at the church or out of town at Six Flags like our students went to yesterday with Adam. And kudos to the volunteers that sacrificed their time to take a bunch of wild students to Six Flags. Y'all rock. You're underappreciated. But thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because that was a, it was a memory for them. So thank you for serving them well. But we did student ministry. And I, basically, my rule was this. Hey, listen, students. I don't mind if you prank me. Right? But just know that if you prank me, you will be paid back. And not only will you be paid back, you're going to be paid back tenfold, right? And they were like, what, tenfold? Exactly. So whatever you do to me, whatever that is, just multiply that by about ten, and that's how you're going to get paid back, and it's going to be when you least Expect it, right? Because that's the best way to pay somebody back, right? When you least expect it. And so people would challenge that and they would try that and then they would learn very quickly. Oh, Hoffman is serious. I remember this one time I was at I was at church camp and uh, I had the opportunity to be the program director, as they said, when I used to go to camp, the dean of the week. It was a fourth and fifth grade week at camp. It was fun. That's probably my favorite age group at camp just because they're still somewhat innocent before they get to middle school right and they just love people and love each other and love the Lord it's awesome fun times always had a great staff of volunteers that were there with me but somehow some reason even though my staff knew me they knew my rule they decided well we're going to prank Chris we're just going to see because he's the program director what's he going to do to us right? and so they just a group of ladies amongst our staff decided that they were going to go into my cabin you know the special dean's quarters right Uh, really nothing special it's like everybody else's it's just where my stuff was and they got all my clothes, right? and they took half of them, and they put them in a canoe. And they pushed that canoe out into the middle of the lake. And they thought, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> right? And then they put the other half on, and they walked by the basketball court where I was playing basketball, and walked to the pool, and they surrounded the pool, and they all jumped in the pool. So half my clothes were in a lake. Half my clothes were sopping wet with chlorinate, chlorinated uh, water. So I was like, hey, that's no problem, right? Because you know me. You can prank me. No big deal, but just know it's coming, right? And so, uh, you know, I was totally less immature than I am now, of course, way back then. And so my payback for them is they knew because I was the dean and because I was in charge that they had to do whatever I told them to do. And they knew that payback was coming because I told them. And so payback tenfold looked like this at camp. I went to the store and I bought as many packages of chicken livers as I could, right? Anybody like chicken livers? They're great to catch catfish with, but they're nasty. I mean, they're disgusting. And so what happened is it was on Thursday night, the night before camp ends. We have like, okay, we're changing things up. I'm on the loudspeaker. Everybody head down to the lower athletic field. We're playing a game. And they're like, oh, no, what's he going to do? I'm like, we're playing a game. We're just playing a game. Wink, wink, wink. And all my guy staff is already in the woods, already camped out, Loaded up with chicken livers. And those ladies understood that payback tenfold for me meant that they got ambushed, bombarded with buckets of chicken livers. They had them in their hair, down their shirts, and the beautiful part is that we couldn't, we had to play the game. So they had to stay in the chicken liver to play the game. It was good times, good times. So, uh, anyway, so moral of the story is if you want to prank me, know that I have matured. So payback now is 20-fold, not 10. Just kidding. Um, But we understand pranking or or paybacks. We understand that, hey, if somebody does something to us, we're going to get them back. It's just kind of how we grow up. But when we look on a more serious note and when somebody relationally hurts us or somebody's being difficult or they wound us or they're harmless, how do we deal with that, right? I mean, how as a Christian, as a believer, how do we deal with that, especially when Jesus wants us to thrive? You know, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it fully, to give it abundantly, to thrive. So when somebody hurts us, wounds us, offends us, it's difficult, what do we do? Well, I often like to see what Jesus says about that if it happens, right? And so I like to look at his words. And so if, if you look real quick in Matthew 18, Jesus deals with this head on. He says this in chapter 18, verses 15. If your brother, and we can say sister, if somebody sins against you, go and show them his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. Bring the church involved. Bring him in front of the church. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. If he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, I can say this. It's very rare that it ever gets to that final step, right? Because Jesus, who knows all, knows what's best, created all that we know. We are made in his image. He says, hey, listen, when you have difficulty, when you're confronted, when you're hurt, when you're wounded, go deal with it one-on-one. Go talk it out. Or I like to say, go hug it out, right? Go hug it out. Deal with the problem. Because what happens if we don't deal with the problem? Anybody want to guess? It's worse. It becomes like a cancer. and spreads not only with you, not only with other people. But your whole surrounding it creates in us things like anger, like our song, the the incubus song talked about. Pardon me while I explode. Right? As I and a lot of times we get exploded on, or we exploded on to other people. Right? It creates anger, creates anxiety, creates worry, creates tension. Those are not words that describe the thriving life. Right? Those are not. Those, you don't see Jesus using those words as descriptors of how to live an abundant, thriving life. It actually robs us from thriving when we don't deal with conflict and we don't deal with somebody who's offended us. And so Jesus basically says the radical minimum, the radical minimum is to talk it out. That's the starting point is to go sit down. Now, the question then is, Okay, Chris, you've convinced me. Uh, I'll go talk to somebody, or somebody's being difficult, or somebody's hurt me or offended me. All right. So now the question is: When we go, how should we go? All right? When we go, how should we go? Because there's several different ways to approach situations. And if we don't do it the right way, then it could end up being worse. And so I want to spend the rest of my time this morning uh, talking about a story from the Old Testament. And some of you have probably heard this story. Many of you may not have ever heard this story. We're going to be talking about uh, two brothers in the in the book of Genesis named Jacob and Esau. Okay, anybody ever heard of those guys? Okay, a few of us. So let me just kind of tell you the story of Jacob and Esau, and then we'll get to actually the passage I want to look at. Uh, Jacob and Esau were born to... Their father was named Isaac, all right? And uh, Isaac's father was named Abraham. And if you grew up at VBS or church camp, you learned a song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Right? So we... So Abraham had Isaac, alright, Isaac had two twin boys named Jacob and Esau. The the way the story starts out is that they were born, and Esau came out of his mommy's belly, and the Bible says that he was completely red and covered in hair just just hairy he was a hairy beast when he came out just hair everywhere right and so that was who he was he was the big brother and the bible then says jacob came out but jacob was holding the heel of his brother esau so they esau was born first but jacob was right on his heels right he was right there and so ever since that moment there was sibling rivalry competition and those two brothers couldn't have been more different uh if you had planned it i mean uh esau was that guy who was burly he was an outdoorsman i mean he was in the woods right with his dad he you know if esau was living today he'd be at our men's ministry every other sunday night right because those guys are burly they're outdoorsmen they like to hunt and kill stuff right that's where they would be our men's ministry. if that's how you roll next sunday night at the sea house you need to show up because it's a dynamic ministry that's changing the lives of men But his brother Jacob, on the other hand, was not so much. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he liked to hang out with his mama in the tent, right? So we can just say, we can read between the lines, he was a mama's boy, right? Now there's nothing wrong with being a mama's boy, right? But if you're thinking about the comparison, you're thinking Duck Dynasty or Bobby Flav. you know what I'm saying? I mean, you got two Totally separate worldviews, two totally different people, all right? And so Esau was daddy's favorite, Jacob was mama's favorite, and that's just the way it was. Well, in this culture, the firstborn son got the birthright and the blessing from the father when he died. And Jacob couldn't stand that because even though they were twin brothers... Esau was born first. So Isaac's on his deathbed. He can't see. He's letting people know, hey, I'm about to die. I need to give the blessing and the birthright to Esau. The mom overhears that, tells Jacob, hey, here's our plan for you to get the blessing and the birthright. They deceive Isaac. Jacob gets the birthright and the blessing, and boom, he's out of town. Why? Because I have just deceived my family. I've just stolen something that's not mine and I gotta get the heck out of town. And then the brothers become separated. Now, can you imagine there's some relational tension there? Can you imagine? I mean, Jacob would be a difficult person. Jacob's offended. Jacob is deceived. He's hurt, and years and years and years and years go by. Esau has a family. Jacob has a family. The Lord blesses Jacob, even though Jacob did something deceptive, uh, the Lord, because he has the blessing and the birthright of his father. Uh, So two families, two brothers growing up in distant lands. And then Esau starts to pursue his brother. Jacob's thinking, this is it. This is when the confrontation happens. This is not going to be good, right? So this is where the story picks up. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 33. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. So if you're new to navigating a Bible, go to the first page. That's Genesis. And then go to chapter 33. Genesis, chapter 33. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, okay? And this is where the story picks up. It says, Jacob looked up, all right? Brothers are coming together. Esau had sought him out. Jacob knows he's got to deal with his brother. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. If you're Jacob, now come on. If you're Jacob, you're thinking, I probably should have brought a change of pants, right? Because it is going to be bad. Because remember, big, hairy, burly, manly man mama's boy. You know, it's not it was not even going to be a match, but Esau brought 400 coming with us 400 men. All right, so Jacob, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front. Now, come on, really? But the put the women and the children up front, right? Crazy. get so not how that still happens in today's world. Um puts them in the front. Um uh, he puts the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself, so this is kind of cool, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Seven times. But Esau ran to Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept Then Esau looked up and saw the woman and children. "'Who are these with you?' he asked. Jacob answered, "'They are the children God has graciously given your servant.' Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, "'What do you mean by these droves of people that I met?' "'To find favor in your eyes, my lord,' he said. But Esau said, "'I already have plenty, my brother.' Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift for me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. And so it's a really cool story and a really cool resolve when it comes to dealing with difficult people or somebody who's offended you or somebody who's hurt you. You see, I believe this interaction is very, very important because Jacob just knows, he has convinced himself in his head space that Esau is going to wipe me out, that he's going to roll over me, that he's going to take me down. He's going to give me the beat down that I deserve. He is not going to take it easy on me as he deserves it. But he finds out that Esau doesn't want to pay him back. That Esau tracked him down. And Jacob having his speech all prepared and moving towards his brother, bowing down seven times. He's not attacked with violence, but he's attacked with love and an embrace, and he's kissed. So what can we learn in this story? I think for me what I learned is that first thing and we've got a note sheet in the in the bulletin if you want to take notes. The first thing I think that we can learn is that when it comes to dealing with difficult people and when it comes to dealing with uh, somebody hurting us or offending us, we have to put ourselves in the right position for restoration. That you and I, we have to put ourselves in the right position for restoration and that position is humility. To be humble and so we see Jacob practicing humility in in this story, right? We see him being humble, approaching Esau, bowing down seven times, being humble, saying, hey, I'm going to be your servant. I brought all these things. Please don't kill me. But for us as Americans, I mean, it's hard to be humble, right? It's hard for us to do because of how we've been shaped growing up, right? Because we were taught and shaped to pay people back to not be humble, to be self-sufficient, to be tough, to stand up on our own, to be all man, to be all woman, to take on the world. Position of humility oftentimes in our culture is a position of weakness and timidity. And so we, we refuse that or we rebut that in our lives. But in order to deal with conflict and for things to be resolved, we have to put ourselves in the right position for restoration. And that comes with humility. We see that Esau runs to Jacob. Now we read that and we go, oh, that's cool. He was happy to see his brother. He ran to him. Yay, it's like a movie. Dun, 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 dun. Right? And you can just play it out in our heads, right? But what we need to know about this day and age and this culture and this Jewish community is that men didn't run. Children ran. But when those children grew up to be middle schoolers and then high schoolers and then become men, men didn't run because when you ran, it showed a sign of weakness. So Jacob put himself in the right position with humility to approach his brother, but so did Esau. Esau shed his pride, his ego in front of the 400 warriors that he brought with him because men don't run. He laid that down. He put himself in the right position as he approached his brother, the man who stole his birthright. Esau ran to restoration. I think the second thing we can learn is this, that we need to allow forgiveness to reign. That We need to allow forgiveness to reign in our lives. Now, forgiveness is one of those tricky things, right? Many of us have experienced things in our life with our siblings or family members or our parents or with best friends or people in our workplace, uh, things that are just hard to forgive because forgiveness can be messy, can't it? I mean, a lot of times, there are probably some of us in here that have some things that have been done to us and we think, I will never forgive that person, right? But what we need to understand is that forgiveness isn't necessarily about the other person, right it's about yourself forgiveness isn't necessarily about the other person it's about yourself when we choose to forgive someone and we choose to allow forgiveness to reign it's about us having the freedom from the wrong that was done to us and us saying collectively i'm no longer bound to that thing we take ourselves out of the prison that unforgiveness creates in our lives But that's so hard for us, right? Because we also grew up learning this phrase, we have to forgive and forgive and forget. Is there anybody in the room that can forgive and forget? No? I don't know where that came from. I know that the Lord forgives and forgets. But I know as human beings, we have this condition called emotional memory. And emotional memory is one of those tricky things where when something happens to us, we store that in our brain right back here somewhere, and it's an emotional memory. And then anytime we experience anything like that emotional memory, or we see the person that calls that emotional memory, that emotion comes right back to us, and we live in that emotion as if it's actually happening right at that moment. Because that's how God designed us. That's how God created us. And so when you and I've been hurt, we store these emotional memories so it's impossible to forgive and forget, but it is very possible to forgive and to be restored relationally, not only for the other person, but for yourself to have freedom. Receiving forgiveness is a totally different thing. We've been the offender or the one that's hurt. Receiving forgiveness is tough. It's awkward. I had an experience years back when my little brother came up to me at a family event and said, hey, Chris, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for being a mean big brother. (laughs) I was like, all right. There is some stuff I intentionally did to him, but also some unintentional things that just happened as brothers. And I guess he was working through that. And so you have to be humble and non-defensive when somebody's saying, hey, listen, I'm stepping towards you. The third thing is this, this process brings generational impact. The process brings generational impact. Look at what it says in verse five. It says, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. And so what we can see is that this process has generational impact. Esau not only was concerned about the restoration with his brother, uh, he only, right on the heels of his embrace with Jacob, he wanted to know who was with Jacob asking about his family, the sister-in-law, nieces and nephews, the whole family. Now imagine the reverberating effect that this had with everybody that was watching. This was an oral storytelling culture. And imagine the stories that were being told in both sets of the families of what went down with Jacob and Esau. And then imagine the restoration and everybody knowing the backstory, seeing humility and seeing forgiveness and how that rippled through their family. How much generational impact did that happen? How much generational impact would it make in our own families and with our friends and people in our workplace when they see us resolve conflict and work through? With other people. You see, friends, this is the recurring story of the scriptures. What's amazing about this passage, though, the most important verse, I think the highlighting verse is found in verse 12. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, Then Esau said, Let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. So Esau was all about forgiveness and restoration, but then he says, I'm going to go with you. You see, this story is a recurring story of the scriptures. It's a picture of a God that continually pursues and runs to people that have stepped out of relationship with him It's a story about the God, the great rescuer, the one that seeks us out, running to those of us who are not thriving, who have stepped out of bounds, who are not in alignment with his will and his way. This story reminds all of us that we have a deep need for forgiveness and that when we finally get it, we finally realize that God is pursuing us, we approach him hoping that he isn't going to squash us like a bug like we deserve for all the junk and all the funk we got going on in our worlds. And in our approach, God the Father who is pursuing us wraps us up in his love. And that pursuit of this God through Jesus restores the relationship that was always intended to be from the very beginning. The restoration work is done. And then this God who is gracious says, let's move forward together because I'm with you always. Church, I believe that with every fiber of who I am, that if restoration can happen between me and God, that restoration can happen with me and people. But it's going to take getting in the right position. A little bit of humility, a little counter-cultural idea. We're going to have to allow forgiveness to reign. And then when that happens, it'll ripple out not only in our family, but it'll ripple out in our friends, it'll ripple out in our workplace, it'll even ripple out through our church. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thanks for the chance just to be able to be here and to be with these amazing people. God, it's so good to have a church home, a place that loves people unconditionally, a place that says, hey, there's no perfect people allowed. And so God, I pray that as we continue to... Uh, just journey through this series called thrive and as we're wrapping up today and as we sing together uh, As we're processing everything that you've said God, maybe there's something going on in our life with a difficult person Maybe there's something that's happened with a family member Maybe there's something that's happened with another believer that we just haven't taken those steps necessary Lord, just give us the courage that we need to just say the prayer God, give me strength, give me courage, give me wisdom to approach this person. God, your idea from the very beginning for, was for us to be in right relationship with you and right relationship with other people. And Jesus, you made that possible by coming and laying down your life and coming back to life again. And so God, I pray that as, as a church, as individual believers that make up a church, when it comes to dealing with difficult people, when it comes to to confronting or dealing with those who have hurt, offended, or harmed, that, God, you allow us to get us in the right position with humility. You allow us to process forgiveness. And then, God, allow us to see the difference that it makes. God, you're so good. and Your love endures forever. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.